On this Palm Sunday, we focus on words from Jesus. These are not typical verses for this day in the Christian year. However, they are ones that are very appropriate for the beginning of Holy Week. As I read, let's consider this. Imagine going someplace to genuinely help people and have them argue and wonder why you're there. Or imagine God coming to offer his life to you and you decline it even when you most need what he's giving. We are in the middle of a conversation in this passage and I'll explain some of the background after we read it. But for now, hear these strong words from the Lord which we find in John 6 beginning at verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. Did you see the quotes that we gave you this week? They're all about bread in the Bible, a common theme once we stop to think about it. There's the manna God provided to the Israelites every day on their journey. In the story of Elijah and the widow, God continuously gives flour and oil so every morning they can make a fresh loaf. There was the bread of presents, which was baked fresh and set out every Sabbath in the tabernacle as a food offering to the Lord. Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness by telling him to turn a stone into bread when he's hungry. Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread. After he's resurrected, our Messiah makes a lunch of fish and bread on the beach for the disciples. Bread fills an elemental human need for physical sustenance. And it's a symbol of hospitality and provision. In scripture, we see how it was given to offer peace when reconciliation was needed and used as a blessing from God to his people. John 6 is all about bread. After Jesus feeds the crowd of over 5,000 with fish and loaves, the people clamor after him, trying to find out where he's going to go next. And when they find him, Jesus tells them they weren't really looking for him. They weren't really looking for God. Rather, they wanted their stomachs filled. And this begins a back and forth 
where the Lord is trying to get them to understand deeper spiritual truths about bread and them trying to grapple with what it means. It's not that they're dim. It's just that this particular metaphor seems to be eluding them. And through all of that, Jesus tells them to believe that he has been sent by God. He tells them, don't focus on what is temporary. Focus on what is eternal. He tells them not to work for food that will spoil, but for the food that endures forever. And when the people hear this, they are overjoyed and say, oh, we want to always have that kind of bread available. And Jesus tells them, I am that bread. I am the bread of life. And I've been sent from heaven by God to provide for you. But the crowd doesn't get it, and they question how that can actually be true. This is a fascinating exchange because in it, we are confronted by the ways we hunger and the ways that we thirst. Jesus is calling out how we fill our lives with so many things that are temporary, leaving our souls dry and anemic when he has provided for our deepest longings to be filled. We yearn for meaning and connection. We yearn to be forgiven from our shame and our sins, and Jesus gives this. Yet, would we be among the ones who are questioning what he actually means? Would we be wondering how it is that he actually can do this? Have we been that way? In response to the people questioning how he could have come from heaven when they know his parents because he's in the area where he grew up, Jesus responds by making an even bolder claim that he is the living bread. He then replaces the idea of bread in favor of talking about how his flesh will keep all believers alive. He takes the conversation to a place they could have not even expected. There's no assurance here. There's no appeasement. Honestly, as we read, the verbiage is pretty graphic, and the audience is more puzzled than before. How can he give us his flesh to eat? They wonder. And Jesus doesn't equivocate, choosing instead to repeat again and again this idea. And then, to make it even more difficult, the word for eat here is not the common one we might expect, not the one certainly they were expecting. Instead, he uses the word trogo, which means to munch or gnaw. This is not the kind of eating one does politely with a knife and fork. We might use the word devour. It's eating with a sense of immediacy and desperation, as if one's life depended on it. And Jesus says plainly that our existence does indeed depend on eating his flesh. If we are to have his life in us, there is no other option but to ingest Jesus as our Savior into the depths of our being. 
Many great thinkers of the church have read this passage as a metaphor for belief in Christ, calling us to trust in his wisdom, not being comfortable or convinced that it means more than that. Augustine, Aquinas, Luther, and Calvin all said this in some form. I think Jesus is talking about trusting him with all that we are. I think he is asking us to believe that he is the promised one sent from the Father to reveal and bring the kingdom to earth. Yet there is an intersection here of the incarnation, the Last Supper, and the cross where the flesh matters. In John, we remember we have to look beneath what is said to the deeper meaning. This is the same writer who said in the beginning of his gospel, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us full of grace and truth. Just a few weeks ago in our study in Hebrews, we read how Jesus in his flesh offered prayers and supplications on behalf of the people. And here we see how Jesus teaches how his flesh is offered, is offered in sacrifice to all who would believe and partake. In the Gospels, people continually ask Jesus for proof that he is who he says he is. We see it in this chapter where people are asking for another miracle so they could know for certain that he really is God. Thanks for the, the miraculous feeding of thousands of us, but could you give us more? Could you show us that you really are God? And Jesus doesn't accommodate that. Instead, he puts forth his demands of what is required to follow him, and then it hits us. How often do we ask for signs and wonders? All the time. Show us, Lord, who you are. Tell us the way to go. Bring healing and hope to our desperate situations. Provide for us because we're needy. Where are you? God, give us your goodness. And Jesus, don't take away anything that we want here on earth. Please make everything better. We ask God for signs and wonders. And that's good. God encourages us that and tells us to do that. But signs and wonders are not the most vital part of our faith. What makes us alive in Christ is our response to the invitation to take his flesh into our very being, to trust in the violent sacrifice offered to all who would believe, to have faith that Jesus' death brings reconciliation to the whole world. His death makes us right with God and one another. We ask for signs, and Jesus gives us what is necessary, what is eternal. He gives us so much more. He gives us the opportunity to find abundance and satisfaction and contentment and life in him alone. We are people who continually need to be fed in every possible way. And here Jesus wants us to remember how he alone keeps us alive spiritually. We are filled with his power and abiding presence when we feed on him. To be part of him, we must take in 
what the Savior came to give. He offers himself to the world, and then those who accept him become part of his flesh, part of his living body in the world. There's a mystical connection we have with Jesus when we put our faith in him. He brings us back from the dead and then keeps us alive with his unceasing love and attentive spirit who keeps us connected together. Today we celebrate how Jesus offers his flesh and blood so we can truly live. This passage is so fitting as we enter into this sacred week. At the same dinner where he instituted communion in this week, Jesus prayed that we would be one with him and one another, just as he and the Father are one. He takes on our guilt and shame and then clothes us in his righteousness, changing us from the inside out. Communion reminds us that it is through his body and blood that we are made right with God. Not because of our own good deeds. Not because he created us and made us and automatically we're in his family. And not through religious acts of devotion. So we come in humility as we try to grasp the painful reality of the cross Jesus endured. We come in repentance for the ways that we have demanded more signs and wonders, for the ways that we have replaced what Jesus has given when all he wants is to give us himself. We come tired of the painful realities we live with on earth, asking God's hope to be made manifest through us. And we come hungry just for a few moments with the Lord to be fed by him. Jesus invites us with these words. This is my body, which is given for you. This is my blood, which is poured out for your sin. May we trust May we trust him to be our living bread today and to commit forever to be his.